Dear Quest community, welcome to this special series that we're doing with the leaders of the RIA aggregator and integrators. So these are the firms in the registered investment advisory industry that are doing what is now 91% of the deals, which are mainly these private equity funded, larger RIAs that are looking to buy up and are buying up and doing many, many deals in the space. Other RIA firms, whether they're independent or sometimes from IBD platforms or even doing some deals with wirehouse uh, advisors. Um, so we are fortunate enough to have some of the, the leading firms in the industry doing these deals, and we have them on uh, in this special series so that people who are interested, right, advisors in the industry who are potentially interested in selling their firms can understand the different models out there. Because one of the benefits of the uh, evolution and the maturation of the RA space has been that there are more aggregators and integrators, there's more funding for these, there's more private equity. But as that happens, there also is more confusion as to all these different options out there. What are the different models? Why is one better than the other? What is the best fit for me? So the purpose of this series is to give the opportunity for each of these amazing firms to talk about their different models, talk about who they're looking to target, who they attract, and have you be in a better position as a potential seller to understand your options. And for those of you who are not in the RA space, you know, I would listen anyway. It's also a fascinating look at how the industry is evolved and how an industry matures and frankly, what the different acquisition models are that could be applied even in other industries. So check out all the videos in this special series on the RIA aggregator and integrators. Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out of the box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the DealQuest podcast. Let's get started. As president of Blue Spring Wealth Partners, David is focused on positioning the organization as one of the premier acquirers in the industry. This includes overseeing day-to-day -day operations and identifying new areas of opportunity and growth for Blue Spring Wealth Partners. In his previous role as Executive Vice President and Head of the RA Segment Fidelity Clearing and Custody Solutions, he led a team that provided a comprehensive custody platform, broker service, trading capabilities, and practice management and consulting services to registered investment advisors. During his career, David has held numerous positions at well-respected financial institutions, gaining experience in multiple facets of the industry. He was head legal counsel at Schwab Institutional, chief legal and compliance officer at Post Advisory Group, and otherwise focused on practice management, trading and operations, consulting and investments, making David a well-rounded leader in the RA space. He currently sits on a couple of charitable boards. Listen, he's, David and I have a similar background up until a point in that he's a, uh, he's an attorney and, and he's, he's in the RA industry, but then we quickly diverge after that as he moved over to the business side and has done pretty much everything you can do in the industry and has made a significant jump from the custody side over to 
what is becoming one of the real premier and competitive aggregators in the space. So I'm, I'm so excited to have David on the podcast. David, welcome. Corey, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm grateful to get the chance to be on your up and coming and expanding listener and viewership. So thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like we were talking to the prequel. It's amazing where this thing has gone from where it started. But any case, so David, before we get into what you're doing now and the unique thing that you guys have in the marketplace and what you offer for potential or advisors who want to sell, I want to take you back to when you were a little kid growing up, maybe 10, 12 years old. What did you want to be? Because my guess is running an aggregated firm in the RA space or being in the custody in the RA space or anything related to the RA space probably wasn't it at that age, but you tell me. Well, I mean, it's it's actually an easy answer. I I actually wanted to be in entertainment. And actually, so much of what we do is in enter- entertainment and communications. I mean, as we were in, in our prep here, Corey, I was telling you about how I love to play guitar and music. Yeah. And actually, believe it or not, I did train part of my career to be an actor. I just, just couldn't get any work. I was an extra. But then I quickly found other other career outlets, including I was drawn to law because I really enjoyed the opportunity to do trial work. And believe it or not, I I was in the courtroom a long time ago. Some of the most interesting experiences in my career were, were doing civil cases, which we could talk about here or some other time. I love it. I love it. See, and, and that, that's definitely where we diverged because I avoid the courtroom like a plague. I've been a deal guy since the early days and I'm like, I want to, I want to put stuff together. I don't want to fight with people. And, uh, quite, although I, I will tell you when I left big firm practice and was 30 years old and hug out my own shingle, I did do a little bit of everything for about a year before I could write it back into the, the corporate work. And I did, I did find it myself in a couple of courtrooms to try to figure out, do I wave to the judge? What am I supposed to do? So, <laughs> well, you being in the courtroom can be fun provided that you're not a defendant. Yeah, there you go. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. One other question looking back, what is the first deal of any type you could think of doing? It could be some little when you were a kid or early in your career, whatever comes to mind, the first, anything that was a deal. Oh, uh, I mean, I, I, I can go way back, but probably the most interesting deal that I was a part of, because it's just, it was fun to watch the evolution. And I only played a minor part was one of our clients in California actually owned the land um, in Half Moon Bay that uh, where the Ritz-Carlton Half Moon Bay sits. So if you ever okay. been to that hotel, that was a seemingly undevelopable piece of land. And there were so many regulations that had to be satisfied, all for good cause. The California Coastal Commission, the US EPA, the Army Corps of Engineers, Endangered Species Act, and just sort of watching that deal come to life after several years of, 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 ma- of the maze. And now there's a big, beautiful hotel and golf course there. That, that's, that's memorable. Love it. Love it. All right. So let's talk about, I mean, listen, the whole purpose of this series, as the intro says, is that there's on the one hand, and you and I were talking about before we went on here, on the, on the one hand, it's amazing in the RA space, how this industry's matured, right? I mean, listen, it's a, in some ways, it's a very typical evolution and maturation. I've seen it in other industries where they're, they're, they're early on, there's not a lot of capital in the space. It's a, a disintegrated space, smaller players, whatever, and then it matures over the time. Money comes into the space, aggregation starts to happen. We've certainly seen that over the last decade and certainly over the last five years, even even more so. And you've made the, the jump from the custodial side onto the uh, aggregator side. And really what we're what we want to do is have this be a resource for folks to be able to understand the different models. So so talk to us a little bit. I mean, because it's it's interesting, unlike some of the other CEOs that I I, I had on and will have on in this series. 
who have been there and built and built the firm and maybe started out as an RA firm and then started doing some acquisitions. You, you made a decision to jump into a particular platform, right? You had a lot of, you're a well-known guy with a great background. Of, you had a lot of options. So what, it, what had you decide on Blue Spring and, and tell us what attracted you to it? which I'm sure is going to be, tell us something about what makes it attractive potentially to selling advisors who want to sell. Yeah, sure. Of course, I've been, in the, I've been in the RE space for probably 28 years at this point. And I got my start as a lawyer in the space. But as I like to say, I've been in the RE space sort of playing in the nightclubs and, and bars before it was an overnight success. And I've said that before, but I really mean it's true. I mean, I, I helped a firm form form itself back when the paper ADV existed and the only right. 5 million under management was the requirement to be an SEC registered advisor. And you didn't need any education. You didn't need any licenses. You didn't need any training. You didn't need any capital. You didn't need any insurance and you could be off to the races. And if you were lucky, you had a client. So I've watched the profession evolve yep. and I think it is a noble profession. It's helping people, helping investors, helping investors live better lives. And so having been in the space and I was at Fidelity for 13 years and I was really blessed to have a great career there and got to, got to play my part in helping that platform grow. Yep. I, I was at a certain age where I, I wanted to try something, a new challenge. I wanted another mountain to climb, as um, my partner says, my partner at Blue Spring, Stuart Silverman, and uh, my, my business partner, I should say. So I looked around and I, I looked at a lot of things really, because, um, and it was, by the way, it was a very thoughtful process. And I decided I wanted to go to a place that was where there was a there there. There's a platform and Blue Spring has a platform um, and it's a very optionality driven platform. And because it's a place where entrepreneurs can continue to be entrepreneurs yeah. and but a chance to continue to build upon it and add value. So I like the chance to be entrepreneurial and somewhat entrepreneurial at the same time. And I am always a big fan of, of telling people I mentor, telling advisors and advisory firms I work with, hey, be very clear on what your unfair advantage is. And I felt my unfair advantage is I had a pretty broad understanding of the space and some ideas on how I could help a firm grow. And there are a lot of great opportunities out there. And I arrived at Blue Spring because I thought it was this, as I said, this, this undiscovered platform a molded piece of clay with the chance to chisel more. And here it is. It's a 29 firm platform in 16 states and growing. The, the firm will do nine acquisitions this year, and we've got lofty goals as we move forward, but not just acquisitions for acquisition's sake, to really solve the problems of our partner firms. And that's what we call them. And as I like to say, and, and I can go on because I would like to give, you, give your listeners, your viewers, some thoughts on what their choices are. Because we're not necessarily going to be the right choice for everyone, but I think for your audience, it's just good to know what the choices are. But we are, at our core, a practice management consultancy that just happens to be in the strategic M&A game. Got it. All right. So that, that's a clear distinction. So let's, let me take a step back and let's, let's talk about like a very basic distinction that is somewhat very artificial because I think different platforms have different aspects of this, right? But they talk about aggregators versus integrators, right? And like I said, if you look at every model, some of them are more on one end of the spectrum than the other, but often they have some elements of each, right? You talked about helping firms maintain their independence. So what, talk to us about the model, right? Where does it lean on the side? How integrated is it? The question is, do they keep their own brand? Is it 180V? Do they have their own whatever, you know, do they have the equity plan? 
just give us the fundamental model before we delve in further. Yeah. And if it's okay, let me just sort of lay out really quickly the choices because sure. that I think plays into what the model is. Sure. So if, if you look at the 15,000 SEC registered firms and the 21,000 state registered advisory firms, thing one, choice one, you don't have to do anything. Right. Do nothing. Just keep on plowing forward as you exist and serving clients and hopefully fulfilling your career. There, there's some issues with that. I'll come back to choice two. And we see this a lot. Some firms want to just de-risk a bit. Maybe they have a retiring partner and they need some capital. So you find a minority interest capital partner. It's right. not going to take control, but we'll provide some capital. Choice three, you find a pure capital partner. Maybe they buy more than 50%. And you have a capital partner that's not going to necessarily provide any other shared services, support, and so forth. Now, choice four, is, and this happens to be our model, is we have the entrepreneurial model. We, we will take at a minimum a 51% interest in your firm, and we have a, a flexible deal structure how we do it. But we, we preserve the entrepreneurial model and provide a number of services to help propel the business forward. So you're not in it alone. You're part of something bigger than you are. I think choice five is, and, and you use the word integration, but you actually, you subsume into another brand. You lose your independent identity and you become part of a larger institution that is, I think, to use your words, an integrator in that all you do for the most part is you continue to look after your clients. The firm will guide you as to new business activities, but then take off, off the entrepreneur's plate, perhaps all of the services that they need, whether it's planning, investment management risk management, so forth and so on. Choice six, and, and this is the sort of the a siren song, is you try to do an internal succession to a G2. Yep. And then what we found in our research before we started Blue Spring is a lot of founders would like that and a lot of G2 practitioners, associates would like that. But the question was, where do I find the capital? Yep. G2s would say, I wanna, I'd like to pay you out of cash flow. But the entrepreneur took the, the risk and, it, and it's their cash flow that's ultimately funding that transition. So hence why, Corey, when we were talking, there's so much outside capital that's, flow, that's flowing into the space. And then I think choice seven is some combination of all of the above. It could be a crosstown merger where two big firms or, or a regional merger, or you work with a partner that in a non-capital transaction where you outsource a lot. Our model, it tries to give the entrepreneur the best of, of, of all worlds. They get to keep their brand. They get to keep their client experience. We provide capital. We are looking for firms that are true ensembles that have G2 in place. Yeah. And that word ensemble is very, very important to us. We, we're very deliberate in the firms that we want to partner with. But we take a number of things off of, of the firm's plate once we engage in a transaction and we partner with them. A lot of the things that we call the defensive tasks like HR, benefits, financial reporting, financial implementation, if you will, procurement. And actually, this is one of the reasons that I was excited about Blue Spring, a continuing enhancement of those services. So that's why I find it exciting. So sorry for the long-winded answer, but I do find that it's always important that anyone who's thinking about doing any type of transactions choices. I know you feel the same way. So many of our friends, our colleagues have built these businesses. It's, it's, it's like their child. And you only have one chance in a, in a real pristine way to engage in a transaction. So church is your friend. Yeah, no, I know. I love you laying that out. And really, you know, that's so consistent with what we're trying to do here on this 
special series is to just to have people understand all the choices and the differences. So let me, let me delve into a couple more specifics so people can really understand it. So they're keeping their own branding. Is that in a DBA form? Do they have a separate entity? Are they, is it one ADV? Give me a little more detail on that. We'll give the audience. Yeah, yeah the, the typical model, and I can explain the atypical one is the name of the advisory firm, and it says a Blue Spring Wealth Partner. So we have a firm that's part of our, our network called Capital Planning. They're based in Roseville, California. So Capital Planning, a Blue Spring Wealth Partner, Jim Wilson and his team look after that firm and they have their own DB. And the same is true with a number of other firms on our platform. We do have a sister company called Kestra Financial and some of the firms we bought sit on that chassis. So they have already been drafting off of the, the Kestra ADV. So it, it sort of depends on the model that where they exist, but you know, over half of the firms we work with are standalone RAAs, their ADV, it's their brand. And it just says that they're a Blue Spring Wealth Partner. All right. So listen, let's get into it because we've already had on and I'm pretty sure we're recording this. I'm not hundred percent sure which order I'm going to recently release them in, but I believe we will have at least had on at least one, if not more of the more integrator models. I won't, uh, people can listen and well, we won't compare actual names to names, but we'll talk about models to models. And the pitch, right, that the more integrators say is, hey, we're going to, yes, you're going to roll a tail brand and some of our systems where we're going to, you know, we're going to take all this stuff off your plate that you don't want to do. You're going to be freed up. And the biggest value of, of having one brand is that we get to really increase enterprise value right? Under one brand, under one integration, we work as a team. You're going to get equity in, in this brand. So you'll get a big second bite of the apple when we're going to go at a much higher multiple, arguably than, than the aggregators who aren't integrated can. So that's, I mean, I'm oversimplifying it a bit, but that's their pitch. And, and, and listen, I say this not from a point of view of saying, Hey, you, why are you better for everybody? Cause you made the point, which I totally agree with is that these is a reason why all these different models out there are out there and they can all be successful because different ones appeal to different people. So what's, what's the pitch to say, no, 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 for certain people, that's really not what you want to do. There's an advantage to having your separate ADV and your separate brand and, and, and no, it's not going to maybe affect that price value difference as much. You tell me what, what, sure. what's the pitch? Yeah. And, and, and my answer is, I, I go back to something I said earlier, we're a practice management consultancy that happens to be in the M&A business. So we spend a lot of time with firm principals, partners, um, understanding what their motivation is and what's important to them. And we want to understand uh, how they think about the client experience, how they think about the team and talent. And we believe that just, just like I, I think many do, that there's the transaction, but how do we also provide a deal structure where there is the creation of enterprise value and enterprise value in the future. So I think that many of the models out there were all aligned at that. It's not a, let's do a transaction and then there's not any chance of upside. We, we think that that's part of the alignment. And that's, I think, something we've, we've, we've structured quite nicely. But Corey, I, I think that it starts with, we're practice management consultants. We want to know what's important to them. We think that there are various advantages to our model that a lot of firms want to keep their own brand. They want to keep their own identity. They think it's vital to the client experience, but they want help and support. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And that, that's what we try to provide. And I, I don't think, I think you said it nicely. It's not like one model is 
superior to another in the abstract. It's in the eyes of the beholder and the advisor. So that's, that's where we try to be very consultative. And uh, it's got to, we're, we're very culture driven. Everyone, I think, says that. And, and many are, but we, we've done, I think, a nice job curating the culture within our, our Blue Spring community. Love it. Love it. So let, let, let's explore this because you've mentioned a couple of times, it's clearly a big part of your value proposition is this whole concept that you're practice consultants and acting as an aggregator. You know, I want to give you an opportunity to explore that a little bit more about exactly what that means. So what is it that you can bring to these firms with that expertise and that focus that provides value beyond maybe what some others can, can do for them? Yeah, I, I kind of, I, I'd probably categorize it in three parts. One is when, every time we talk to a firm that is considering a transaction, and we frankly decide not to go forward with at least 90% of the opportunities that we talk to, sure. if it's not a fit for us, we're, we're clear about why, but we want to help them as they think about how they're building enterprise value in their firm. So we provide the consulting irrespective of whether we're going to go to. Do they need to be more of an ensemble? Do they need to think about bringing in G2 or developing G2? Do they need to think about the way they're compensating, aligning, and motivating their talent? So our consulting starts before we even enter into any transaction, in many cases, at a point where we're not going to enter into a transaction. Uh, the second part is, if we are going to go forward, we take a consulted approach to how we're going to do business together and how we're going to structure the transaction so the the right benefits, incentives, and horizon for not just the founders, but any G2 or G3 that they may have in the business. But then once you become part of our network, we have a business consulting group. We've got, and that includes marketing assessments. We have a, a large technology infrastructure that helps firms with their technology. We, we have a M&A team that can help with sub acquisitions. And of course, we have access to capital. I don't know if I mentioned, but we are also backed by two private, two private equity firms, a majority owned by Warburg Pink Pincus, who's been a phenomenal partner, as well as we just brought on Oak Hill as, as a partner as well. So I, I think we have a lot of solutions. And then myself and Stuart Silverman and Harold Buckner, we have, I think, combined over 100 years of practice management experience. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, all right. So, so a question on that, right? You mentioned, you mentioned G2. You mentioned, uh, you know, and that's a concern that a lot of folks have, whether, and it can go one way or another. You have some of the firms that don't, haven't done a good job in the industry generally, has not done a good job of right, bringing up the next generation. So you have some of these folks that don't have G2 in place. And one of the things they're actually looking for in, in, in a deal is, is a solution to that. And there's some of the other platforms that focus more on, hey, you can integrate, we have younger people. But then on the flip side, when they do have G2, which is a more attractive fit for you from what I, for Blue Spring Wealth, from what I gather, there's sometimes concerns in G2 about, hey, it's great dad or, or senior partner or whoever it is, that you're going to get to take some chips off the table, monetize and move on. But we don't know whether it's the right time for us. We're early in our careers. Should we build more on our own? That comes up a lot, right? So how do you address, and I listen, I mean, the focus on practice management and all the consulting you do is an obvious answer to that. But in more detail, like how do you, what makes you guys attractive to G2 and what objections do you hear? from them that you guys can answer versus maybe some of the other platforms out there, because I, I can't tell you how many clients where I have that, where we got to navigate the senior 
and the G2, and they have different interests and different timing, potentially. And how do you make that work in a deal? Yeah. So the main thing that I think is, is where we focus and probably one of our unfair advantages is we leaned in very, very heavily that we wanted to have a training program for G2. So we partner with Philip Alavev, and I've known him for many years. He has something that we crafted together called the G2 Successor Academy. And we will offer that training. It's a two-year program to our G2s that become part of our network. And it's really teaching them how to be leaders. It's a simulated course, two years where they meet with other peers. They have guest lecturers. You may have been a lecturer at some point, Corey, for all I know. There's a, a case study and capstone assignments. And that's really appealing because sure, there are, there are certifications like the, like the CFP, the CPA, the CFA, ADs, but this is an apprentice-based business. And not everyone was trained to operate an advisory firm. So that's thing one. Thing two is depends on the arrangement that the G1 and G2 have put in place already. Some G2s have equity, others don't. Others have equity-like arrangements. And when at the, at the point of transaction, it's a good time to sort of take fresh stock and align incentives. And actually doing a transaction could be a good, a good point to actually share equity or synthetic equity as the case may be. And then the third point, and I actually hear this a lot, is many G2s are really hungry and excited to be part of something larger than their firms. And that's what we offer here at Bluespring, the chance to be part of something bigger than your own firm. And so uh, that goes back to that notion of community that we discussed. So yeah, I, I think that that actually is one of our, our stronger suits, our, our G2 emphasis. That's, that, that's great because you obviously, like, like I said, that comes up a lot. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to a new way to determine your deal readiness. I created a fast and easy assessment that will determine exactly how deal ready you are. Once you complete the assessment, I use your responses to identify the obstacles that are holding you back from being a deal-driven growth genius. It's as easy as heading to coreycupfer.com slash assessment. That's coreycupfer.com slash assessment and so filling out a few multiple choice questions. I'll be checking in after the episode to see what your results are. Now back to the show. Obviously, we've teased out a little bit in order to actually a decent amount probably in, in what you've talked about already. But if you had to talk about you, your ideal targets, your deal potential deal partners, what are the criteria for, for Blue Sprint? Yeah. Well, I, and, and I've said a lot of it, but I'll, I will kind of, I'll go back to tape. It's probably six things. We like firms that are, are true ensembles. So it's not disparate practitioners, but they really operate in ensemble, a team fashion. Perhaps they're centers of excellence that support the teams. So the clients aren't single threaded with one advisor. So, so uh, no, no surprise that you're you partnered with Phil Bellavie because, of course, this whole thing is the ensemble practice, right? Right. Correct. Thing two is I, we talked about G2. We are looking for firms with strong G2 or developing into strong G2, and that's where we uh, leverage the G2 Successor Academy. Yep. And thing three, and this will come as no surprise, we like firms that are growing firms that have a culture of growth. But I'll add add to that. When we, when we think about firms that have a culture of, of growth, we like firms that have a plan and, and actually some pistons in place to power that growth. 
Yeah. As you, most firms grow, grow by client referrals. Some have COI referrals, but are they really intentional about it? The next thing that we're looking for is is just clarity on what problem that they're trying to solve and that, and how we can help them. So yeah. that's where I come back to that flexible deal structure. We always want to buy 51%. And as a, as a floor core, we're looking to partner with a firm that has at least 1 million in EBITDA, but our, our target is actually higher than that. Sure. Um, but that's, that's sort of one marker that we're looking for. And then I guess the other thing that I would share is firms that are, are willing to be part of a, a true partnership. We're in this together. And if we're going to grow enterprise value, that's the sort of mindset that our partners have to have. So we spend a lot of time getting to know one another and talking about how we'll operate. And so I actually think that one of our, our, our friends in common said this. I said, I think there's a blue ocean here for Blue Spring. There's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity for all of us. And, and sort of that's the way we think about the world. And we've got some aggressive, we've got some aggressive goals. It's not for, not for growth sakes alone, but really to bring the best solutions that we can to the advisory population. Right. And so, so we talk about enterprise value and we talk about the fact that, right, people are going to, you know, the opportunity to build that. And, and part of the analysis that some of these advisors are doing at, at all levels, certainly G2 sometimes, just to say, hey, can I build my enterprise value quicker or slower than the enterprise, you know, value that I'd be able to, even though taking some chips off the table, right? If I've got an equity piece that's remaining in my firm or in the bigger firm, and you can clarify for that, that for us as well as to whether there's any equity piece in the bigger, in the bigger enterprise, what the, that part of the model is, but, but either way, some of the analysis is, is well, whose equity enterprise values can accelerate more quickly. And some of the attraction sometimes to join a bigger place is that you can, you get the multiple arbitrage, right. And you can, you can benefit from that, but that all depends upon when that's going to trigger and how that's going to trigger. Right. So two questions, clarify the, the, the equity participation, and then two, what is Blue Springs plan in terms of how that, how they're going to realize an enterprise value? Are they, are they going to go through multiple, uh, like, you know, some firms raise various rounds of VC capital and in board, some people get the cash out. Obviously we have some, not many, but examples of people going public, firms going public. So what's, what's the, what's the monetization strategy and what then how to advise participate in that, what levels of equity, that kind of stuff. Sure. Sure. And it's a great question. We have three tools in our toolkit. When we're doing a transaction, maybe four, I, I think there are four. When we do a transaction, certainly there's a cash component. Sure. Second is the firm has the ability, depending on how we structure it, to retain some of their own legacy equity. Yep. The third, and this is our most precious equity, but one that we deploy regularly is, is equity in our parent company. Yep. We're part of Kestra Holdings and that equity is something that we use we have and and the ability to use and, and i think that's a great example of, of giving firms the 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 chance of, of upside and then also have another synthetic equity piece that we've fat fashioned which is very popular so as you said it gives principles and g2s the chance at a second bite of the apple apple tied to the growth of the firm after after an acquisition so those are the four tools in our toolkit. And I, I will say that the equity in our holding company, our parent has been very favorable. I'll give James Poor, our CEO of Kestra, a lot of credit. Kestra became an independent entity. Well, it, it's, it spun out of another company in 2016. and 2019, Warburg Pincus became the majority owner of the company. And then just actually in August, right, well, just 
as I joined, it was announced that we were recapping with Oak Hill. Warburg is still the majority owner. But each time there's been a progressive realization of enterprise value. And I think that's, that's the story. What the future holds, one can't be sure. But my suspicion, my strong suspicion is that we'll always be part of the private company ecosystem. And that's the thing. We're here to grow uh, on behalf of our partners within the Kestra ecosystem, but of course our shareholders, all to the betterment of the clients that we serve. Love it. All right. So I think the last general area, other than just anything else you may want to talk about, is just the bigger market, right? Trends and what things are looking like. So obviously we've had a, an amazing stretch. Yeah. I mean, our deal flow in the RA space over the last few years has been ridiculous. And and certainly the, the overall deals getting done in this space compared to what used to be are, I mean, the deal, the deal flow, the deal volume, the, the money that's coming has been high. And I, I mean, I'll sort of, maybe I'll set it up. I think there's a, maybe you could argue some competing forces where you have this maturization trend where you would expect just the way the industry is maturing and the natural growth of it and the, and the fact that we continue to have breakaways. So it's not, even though there's some consolidation aggregation, there's like a new flow of new blood continuing to come in, which is great because, which is why I happen to think the people think this is going to get consolidated up very quickly. There's not going to be a lot of independence or we got a long while before that's going to happen because we still have the movements to independence coming, but we also have some current or short-term headwinds, whether it's, that's inflation or interest rates or the markets. Certainly, I mean, up until recently, I personally was able to say, I haven't seen it affect my deals, but I just actually had one client that pulled back and said, they told their, their banker. Hey, listen, let's put it on pause. So we want to see what happens in the markets. We've seen a little bit of at least in deal structure, a little less on the front end, maybe pushing more to the earn outside. So we're starting this, at least I'm personally in, in the various deals we've done, we've done a lot of them. I've seen some impact. What are you seeing out there generally in the marketplace and how are you looking at the long-term trends versus maybe some of the short-term headwinds, uh, you know, that might be existing now? Yeah. And you just said it really well, long-term. If there's one thing I learned at Fidelity and I, I take it to heart every day is you have to think on the long-term. And that's a company that I have a lot of admiration and respect for that has always thought from a long-term perspective. And I'll share with you a few things. One, I think this is a self-renewing ecosystem. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at my favorite report, and I urge everyone to read it, it's the investment advisor snapshot that's prepared by the Investment Advisor Association, I think in partnership with National Regulatory Services. The RE profession grew by 6.7% year over year. So the number of advisors grew. We're near like 15,000 registrants. And that's in comparison to other financial services regulated channels where there's actually compression in the number of registrants. Right. So it's, it's a, it's a self-renewing ecosystem. It's not a maturing or dying ecosystem. A colleague of mine by the name of Joe Magner did some interesting work about ecosystems a few years ago and, and, and applied it to the RNA ecosystem. And we think it's one that continues to mature and grow. It's self-renewing. That's what I might mean. Second thing is beyond that, we are in this demographic age wave where people yeah. need solutions. So I think that. There may be concentration, but I wouldn't call it consolidation. And I think that if you look at sort of the arc of what's happening in concentration in the RAA profession, it's still mourning in the RAA profession. Yeah. It's mourning in America. I'm not saying it's the crack of dawn, but we're, we're late in the morning or, or we're mid-morning. We haven't hit lunchtime yet. And, 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 and by golly, we're nowhere near a siesta or dinner time. <laughs> we're, we're, I don't know, we're, we're, 
we're either starting brunch or we're midway through brunch, but there's a lot of runway out there. And, and by the way, it's going to be fun to watch as things evolve because we're also going through a generational transfer. So the baby boomers to Gen X and then before Gen Y. So I, I think this is still a time of, of, of great vibrancy. If a friend or colleague asked me, would you recommend that their, their child go into the RA profession or industry or ecosystem? I would give it an unqualified yes for sure. Out of the side. And so, and what have you seen though? So, all right. So we're, we're in alignment in the long term. What, what have you seen in terms of any impacts of some of the short term headwinds that we're seeing? Well, markets go up, markets go down, but comes back to my practice management statement. What's motivating you know, any potential seller? And I still think there's strength for those firms that fit all the characteristics and qualities that we were talking about. Yeah, listen, I agree. And, and the interesting part is I've, I mean, I've mentioned this on a few of the recent episodes and I think it's just important for people to know, like, I remember when, when they first started about the, talked about the feds pushing up interest rates and, and there were, I saw articles out there, not necessarily specifically RA space, but in the deal space in general, talking about, oh, it's going to make cost of capital more expensive and it's going to cause deals to go down. Well, I, I anecdotally had a different experience over my 35 years of practice. And I actually did some research and determined that the research out there was consistent with my experience, which is that actually there's no correlation between higher interest rates and lower deal flow. Okay. There've, there've been times when interest rates were in the teens and deal flow like this, there's literally no correlation, all right, in terms of, in terms of number of deals. And certainly we know, even if we are in a recession or go to the recession, which I don't like to talk about, cause I don't like to create self-fulfilling prophecies, but there are, there are often more deals done in down markets than there are and up markets because it just creates different, different opportunities. So yeah, I feel the same way. And I think uh, there's also so much capital already deployed in this space, but it's going to take a while for that powder to go dry. So I think, I think we're, we're aligned. Yeah. I mean, I would just say this to your, to your listeners and viewers, don't, don't read the headlines, read the chalk lines. Love that. Love that. Okay. So listen, we can, we can talk forever, but is there anything that I haven't covered in terms of anything you want to talk about or highlight about Blue Spring or the industry or um, or play us a song. What, what, what do you have before I go to my final two questions? Well, I just want to say, Corey, it's, I think we've covered a lot of ground. I really appreciate you having us on the show. It's been fun. It's been a great dialogue. And uh, I just offer myself up. First and foremost, I think I'm a student of the profession and if folks have questions, please reach out. I would love to play a little music because that's fun, but I'll, I'll follow your lead, my friend. All right. All right. Well, I will. So let's see. How do I want to do this? Well, well you mentioned people contacting you. So so what do you give? What, what's the best place for people to find out more about Blue Spring generally and then to reach out to you? Yeah, sure. You can go to our website, which is bluespringwealth, all one word, dot com, or you can, you can reach me at david.canter, it's C-A-N-T-E-R at bluespringwealth.com. And heck, I'll even give my phone number, which is 650-388-6731. Please don't call me if you're trying to sell me extended auto warranty insurance, but uh, I think I'm well covered. But otherwise, uh, again, 650-388-6731. Okay. So that's great. So I'm, I'm actually going to ask you my final question on the podcast and why don't you answer that? And then, and then I'd love you to play us out, play us out with anything you want to play us out with. Okay. 
Uh, yeah. All right. So the final question is, and this this I ask on on every one of these podcasts, not just this special series. My highest value in life is freedom, and that means for me everything from freedom for all people in the world from oppression to the reason I've been an entrepreneur for decades and haven't had a boss. What does freedom mean to you, and how does it impact your life and business? Well, I, I mean, I think you you said some of it. I like the first part about freedom for 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 everybody and freedom from any type of oppression. I think freedom for me is the power to bring out the best in other people and to hopefully associate and align myself with people that can do the same for me. I've reached a point in my life, my career, where the people I surround myself and align with and get to work with on a day-to-day mean much more to me than any particular task. So whether it's my family, whether it's my colleagues that are my friends at work or, or business partners. It, it has to start with positive energy. And, and I do believe in the power of positive energy. And that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. And I guess the other part of it is I've always been a, a great fan of the, the Grateful Dead. And if you, it's right there in the name, by the way, gratitude. So right. I'm a big believer in humility and gratitude. So I don't know if those are embedded within freedom, but if you have the freedom to be humble and, and grateful, that's uh, that's really important to me. And by the way, this is a real, this, this, this means a lot to me. This was an artifact that was given to me by someone you may know, a good friend of mine named John Highland, who looks after a firm called Private Advisor Group. And I think he could teach us all a lot about freedom. So, uh, so thank you I for that. So for those of us who are, for those people who are on audio only, describe what you just held up. Yeah, so I have a... Uh, I have a Grateful Dead, it's it's sort of coaster meets a motorcycle and you have an, an Uncle Sam driving the motorcycle on top of a, a steal your face base and steal your face is sort of the kind of iconic image of the Grateful Dead. And if, if you want more, call me or, or email me and I'll, I'll, I'll show you more. Awesome. Awesome. So folks, listen, I think this is a great opportunity to hear David's approach of philosophy and Blue Springs unique offering and and what makes them different from other folks. And I will tell you, I think the other thing that makes David different than anybody is I don't believe single other RIA aggregator integrator leader is going to play music for you during this series. So David, take us out with something. Whatever you want to play. Well, usually I would play a little Grateful Dead. But you might recognize this one. But instead, I'm going to do, this is my favorite outro music. Why don't we agree on this, Corey, that I'll play this and you can just tell us when it's over. But but this is one of my favorite songs by the Allman Brothers, and people might know this one. Awesome. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. I want to invite you to a unique way to tap into the wisdom and experience of the DealQuest community. Join the DealQuest Deal Den Zoom calls, a free monthly 90-minute mastermind. In the mastermind, we address all the challenges you may be facing and help support you with the opportunities that may arise in terms of deal-driven growth. You will get input not only from me, but all the members on the call will collaborate and serve each other in a mastermind format. To sign up for the free mastermind, go to www.coreycupfer.com slash dealden. That's coreycupfer.com slash dealden. I'll see you there. I'm Corey Kupfer. 
Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.